Today on CityCast Denver. Summer theater is back. These artists have been bottling up their creativity for a year, and some of their ideas are really wild. We go about a mile and a half on some concrete and a lot of dirt trails. You know, we, I mean, we rehearsed in light snow, we rehearsed in pouring rain multiple times. We tag along with Control Group Productions as they get ready to walk audiences through the nation's first urban floodplain park, which happens to be in Littleton and was the site of one of Colorado's worst natural disasters. They say that first you heard it, then you smelled it, then you felt it, then you saw it. It wasn't just water, it was a foul roiling slurry of branches, whole trees, home appliances, propane tanks, and several train cars, simply smashing through everything in its path. Today is Friday, May 28th, 2021. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. Let's take a look at the news. Today's a warm one with a high of 82 and a possibility of showers in the afternoon. Outdoor dining expansion and safe outdoor spaces for our houseless community members could be extended through 2023. Denver City Council's Land Use Committee passed a bill for the extension this week, meaning a full council vote is on the horizon. We'll be watching this one. Um, a new area code next year? Are you for real, Colorado? We know how seriously we take the 303, or 720 if you've been delegated to the decidedly subpar area code as I have been for the last two decades. Now it seems like our population has grown so much that you might get stuck with, gasp, 983. If you've got a 303 number, hold on to it tightly, you lucky Denverite. So, producer Alexandra McMahon, you went to something really cool and unique last week, right? Yeah, so I got this email from Control Group Productions, which is this theater group based in Aurora that I've covered in the past, and they do super cool immersive stuff. Like, I loved their haunted show at the Aurora Fox Theater in 2019. Anyways, they emailed me about their first in-person production since the pandemic. It's called After the Flood, and so I went out to a rehearsal. Okay, cool. And where is this taking place? It's at this relatively unknown green space in Littleton, right along the South Platte River called Reynolds Landing. And it's right across from Breckenridge Brewery, if you've ever been to that location. Well, all right, Alexandra, I'm going to take a break while you go and talk to Control Group's Artistic Director, Patrick Mueller, about this show. Thanks, Bree. So, Patrick, welcome to CityCast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Control Group is back with their first in-house production since the pandemic. Um, and it's it's starting with After the Flood, which is part of this larger tree line series. Can you just give me the primer on After the Flood? What What is this? After the Flood is a nature walk. We um, go about a mile and a half on some concrete and a lot of dirt trails. It's a, I would say a gently immersive experience. Um, we are working within COVID regulations and sort of general, you know, new cultural practices around proximity and, and touch and handing objects back and forth, but still working within, I think, the intimacy of immersive experience. It's limited to 20 audience members. And over the course of about an hour and a half, we are both simply celebrating being out in nature, celebrating being together, 
and um, and exploring a story that is fascinating in its own right about the largest natural disaster in Denver history, or at any rate, the most expensive. If you're here for a story, here's a story of the water. The spring of 1965 in Colorado felt like the onset of the apocalypse. Many earthquakes, tornadoes, and a frigid cold front squatting on the mountains like some ice dragon breathing hail and lightning down the front range. On June 16th, the storm broke, starting with a tornado that transferred most of Palmer Lake into nearby neighborhoods. This apparently included a literal rain of frogs. 14 inches of rain fell in seven hours, the precipitation we usually expect in a whole year. Plum Creek's flow jumped a thousand times, augmented by mudslides off Dawson Butte, and about two miles upstream from here, a wall of water hurtled into the confluence of the already swollen Platte. People had about two hours to evacuate. They say that first you heard it, then you smelled it, then you felt it, then you saw it. It wasn't just water, it was a foul, roiling slurry of branches, whole trees, home appliances, propane tanks, and several train cars, simply smashing through everything in its path. Every home in the Happy Trails RV park floated and set sail. On the Bowles Avenue bridge, a double-wide driven up against the pilings was flattened to about 18 inches. The flood tore out every bridge to downtown Denver, where the viaducts held, but residential flood protections didn't stand a chance. The power and phones were out, and the whole area was eerily dark. The water spread more than a mile wide through here, and a good 13 feet over our heads, 110,000 cubic feet per second, 100 times what it was that morning. 27 Colorado counties were declared a disaster area. And then a lovely parable for climate action on a community scale that comes out of that where um, the city of Littleton pushed back on what was quote unquote supposed to happen after the flood where the, uh, the Army Corps of Engineers um, with the state supporting this project proposed that they channelize the whole of the Platte River and put the whole thing in, in a concrete tube and the city of Littleton is a good part of the reason that we now have a lovely greenway there instead of a river that is buried and disguised and um, with a bunch of, you know, the backs of industrial buildings facing it. Yeah. So it sounds like this is more than than art. This is also a research project. And I'm wondering, you know, what was the process of, of diving into that history and how did you figure out um, you know, what parts of that story you wanted to tell? Partly it developed really organically. We had been planning um, Treeline, a series of, of projects looking at wilderness, looking at human relationship with nature in the Anthropocene era. And my family, my wife and, and our seven-year-old and I had started visiting this park because it was near her parents and, and a lovely place to go and hike around and really fell in love on a I think a gut and heart level, and then started unpacking this story, which um, was particularly exciting because my dad and um, and his family lived in Littleton at that time, 
I didn't I don't think we were even looking for this when we when we first started digging into the story, but we realized that there was this really potent uh, both climate action parable and also, you know, I mean the fact that it's on a community scale that it's something that at least for me, you know, that I can grapple with like in the face of this really overwhelming global crisis um to see something that's obviously not solving the whole problem but is a real meaningful positive shift in in the world around you know, like like in in the local situation to see something on a scale that I can understand that I could imagine being part of that feels like a story that was feels crucial to tell i think is you know the the, the main thrust that we're that we are aiming at is all of this lovely nature that we are experiencing and embracing in this moment wasn't really supposed to be here except that the city of Littleton bucked this federal government plan and <laughs> and that's something that can happen again <laughs> and, and and now there's this beautiful park in the heart of Littleton which <laughs> i i had never uh been to until i was um you know attending the the test audience for after the flood last friday and and uh, yeah, it was just gorgeous. And you know, it's right across from Breckenridge Brewery. Um, and then I think, honestly, my favorite scene or moment from After the Flood is when, you know, you take us to this big open meadow and there's, you know, a violinist on one side and a drummer on the other. And then there's this, in the middle, there's this big tree that just kind of twists up towards the sky. And then these dancers come and they're dancing in the meadow and it's like, it's gorgeous. And I, I'm just wondering if you can talk about um, the challenges of staging a show like this at at a big mm -hmm. park when there's other people, you know, walking through your show and things like that. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's always a challenge to work outdoors. I was not fully prepared for how much rain we would get this spring. And, yeah. you know, we, I mean, we rehearsed in light snow. We rehearsed in pouring rain multiple times. Um, we moved several rehearsals back to the studio, even when the site was really where we needed to be to make best progress. Um, I would say that, you know, in terms of both in terms of working with the ranger staff there um, and, and permitting and also with the, um, the folks passing through, that all has been pretty straightforward and, and really welcoming. Um, we, we've I'm sure somebody has been quietly annoyed by us clogging up the trail, but we've gotten, I mean, almost everybody who, who hikes by um, is excited about what we're doing, asks where they can get tickets. Um, and I, and you know, it's, it's a place that I don't think many people travel to in order to, to take a walk. Um, so it's really, you know, we're telling the story of the land that these people live on and, um, you know, and, I, and there's been a, just a really warm reception to that of of celebrating this sort of small town, you know, David and Goliath kind of moment um, with the, you know, with the government and the core um, and and, you know, and just highlighting a place that they spend a lot of time and have a lot of familiarity. Um, and we've heard from several people that they love seeing the park activated or or the or the sites embraced with the the artistic process that yeah. we're in the middle of. Yeah, I think that's such a good point because, you know, I think that we take our, you know, uh, like backyard neighborhood parks for for granted and for a lot of people that this park is probably that, you know, it's it's just something mm -hmm. that's there and it's easily accessible. You don't have to drive too far. 
but you know you're kind of putting this this you're giving it this magic that is maybe helping residents see it in a new light i hope so for sure you know i think you know for us we've been reflecting on the there's a mary oliver quote attention is the beginning of devotion and realizing how how much time it takes to get to know a place and the you know we've been lamenting the fact that we haven't gone through a full cycle of seasons here um and we've loved every you know i mean it was gorgeous and stunning and stark in in december and january it was lovely to see things start to leaf out over the spring and i hope that for folks who have spent years you know walking these trails that it's still that, that it's still something that's fresh and exciting or something that they've maybe you know always seen the opportunity for without even realizing it and i do want to go back to the theme of climate change because it didn't feel too preachy on climate change um or or environmental issues you know it was it was very it was a it was a light touch and I, i'm just wondering if if that was what you were hoping to accomplish um you know do you feel like there's some some burnout when talking about this issue now I hope there's not burnout, although I do, I think that that is certainly real for many people. But I think that the the strongest role that I can find for our art is not to beat the drum of climate, but to embrace people with nature. And once we deepen that connection, once we, once, once we feel it, in our, you know, in our heart, in our guts, in our, once we're, once we're feeling it as well as thinking it, then we are more likely to start acting on it. On the next breath, using any vowel, sing that tone. Patrick, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on and taking an interest. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver, which is normally something Bree says, but this is actually her last week with us for a little bit. She's having a baby, like any moment now, so Bree, we thought it would be nice to look back on a few of our favorite moments from the show so far. For me, it's gotta be not necessarily a moment in the show, but in our tracking sessions when you have milk, and I tell you not to have milk because you know, for non-audio recording people, dairy makes makes your voice sound a little froggy and scratchy. So I tell Brie, don't have milk before we track, but she just can't help herself sometimes. She really likes milk. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Alexandra, because I'm already prone to sounding like Marge Simpson's sister sometimes. So it probably doesn't help. I'm going to take that note, that milk note to heart for when I come back and be a better host for you. How about you, producer Paul Caroli? For me, it's got to be our first episode, the interview with Frank Bonanno, the moment where he said that he was thinking about running for mayor. It was a surprise to all of us. And Brie, I thought you just reacted so perfectly and earnestly. It was like kind of a half laugh, but then also taking it seriously. And I felt very represented. That was exactly where I was at emotionally. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I know. I'm so used to people saying that they're going to run for mayor that I was like, yeah. Sure. But then it was like, oh, yeah, maybe this could be cool. Yeah. You never know. <laughs> and newsletter writer Peyton Garcia. My favorite part of the CityCast Denver podcast overall is Bree's bloopers at the end. 
Um, one of which is when she smashes a bug <laughs> with her hand. Um, that's a good one. But my all-time favorite that made me spray toothpaste all over the bathroom when I was listening to it was in our May 10th episode when we discussed the demolition or preservation of the Denver 7 building. And at the very end, Bree says that she feels bad for the building because she's worried that its feelings might be hurt when it hears people talking about how ugly it is. <laughs> and that's just very, very authentically Brie. <laughs> it's true. I, I feel like buildings have feelings. And so I was really feeling for that building that day on that episode. <laughs> <laughs> And we have a new producer helping us out while Bree is gone, Lizzie Goldsmith. Do you have a favorite moment so far? So I'm new to the team, but I'm not new to listening to CityCast Denver. Um, so one episode that I just keep thinking of is the uh, Elitch Gardens episode. And just like, just the whole episode was really fun. But like the way just Bree described it, and like it really felt like I was there, even though I've never been to old Elitch. So it was really fun. Oh, well, I'm glad I could bring you back into a little bit of old Denver, Lizzie. Yeah. That's awesome. Cool. Well, you guys, this is so sweet. I'm so sad to take a little break, but I know you're going to handle this show and make it just as fantastic because you're the people that work on it every day anyway. And it's just that people don't get to hear from you. So now they get to hear from all of you guys. So thank you. Yay. Happy Yay. parental leave see you soon Bri. have fun with your baby have fun with my baby <laughs> whenever he gets here <laughs> if you've been enjoying the show tell us about your favorite moments so far on twitter we're at citycast denver and if you haven't already why not review the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter the song you're hearing right now and all of our other music is by Los Mocochetes with additional mixing by Tyler Lindgren. CityCast Denver is taking Memorial Day off, but Paul, Alexandra, Peyton, and Lizzie will be back with you on Tuesday with more news from around the city. Bye for now. Sometimes when I test my mic, um, I realized I make f sounds that my Furby used to make.